This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game in today. We got Mr. Brandon Bateman with us from the Bateman Collective. What's going on, Brandon? Hey, how you doing, David? I'm good, man. We were just before everybody uh, got the opportunity to hear us, um, just dealing with a fun little banking situation. You know, uh, it's always nice during the holidays when you need to take your high maintenance wife out to a jewelry store and you want to get the limit increased on your card, not the limit, but the daily spending limit. Like that's the most ridiculous thing, man. You can have a massive limit on your card, but you can't spend more than $3,000 in the day. My wife quit accepting, she quit accepting $3,000 gifts for me a decade ago. So (laughs) weren't you just in the jewelry store like two weeks ago when we recorded? Yes, I was. As a matter of fact, (laughs) (laughs) She now accepts multiple gifts valued over $3,000 from me in 30-day periods. So anyhow, that's neither here nor there. We're here to talk about Brandon. Well, time, so Brandon, what? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, th- th- this, time, this time maybe you won't have to pull your piece on some random psychopath trying to c- <laughs> come at you in the store. This, yeah, we're going to Tiffany's in International Mall tonight. I think we I should think be a little be bit okay. more low-key. What he's referring to, Brandon, is I literally had to pull my gun on a guy the last time we were in the jewelry store because crackhead. he was hopped up on meth trying to smash in the front window, and I had my wife and kids with me, and that's just how I'm wired, man. That's how we roll. Yeah, wow. That's uh, an experience I haven't had. I think my wife has not become accustomed to such things yet, so I, I think uh, <laughs> I'm in the green zone for now. <laughs> our, our credit limits are sufficient. <laughs> you're better served well yeah Yeah. that's the thing man it's not like my credit limit's low number one i don't use credit at all i use debit cards only i'm cash for everything straight cash homie yeah my problem is it's the daily spending limit that they get you on is they limit you to three grand per day and then you got to jump through a bunch of hoops and that's the other thing man like they ask me secret questions for like my password i have no clue what i answered to them because they're not like the standard mother's maiden name and where were you born and all of that (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Can't can't verify your own identity. Yeah, well, favorite sports team. I don't know if I said Tampa Bay Rays, Devil Rays, Rays, anything. anything. It could be one letter off, and I can I can assure you that the young lady on the other end of the phone is not going to accept my answer unless it's anything less than precise. 
Speaking of Tampa Bay, you know, teams, the Bucks took care of business last night, which was fun. They did. Uh, dude, yeah. I saw – okay, so sorry. We have to go down this road. I saw your boy Dumas. Oh, nice. Yeah. We didn't, At the Bucks we, game? Yeah, we didn't We didn't talk, but um, I just thought it was funny. Would you just give, give him one of these? Like the, no. From I, across I just, the way? Or? Not, not even that. I just saw him and recognized that I saw him and then carried on did with whatever you? else I was doing. No. Oh, okay. Well, then that's it's fine. not really that great of a story. I just thought I would tell you. <laughs> Always interested in hearing about Mr. Dumas. That's right. So, Brandon, we're here to talk to you today, man. Talk a little bit about what your background is and, and how you got here. Like, I've, I've read some stories online, but I'm interested in hearing from the horse's mouth. Yeah, good, good question, David. Uh, depends what you consider here, also. <laughs> so, so uh, I I run a digital marketing agency, a little bit of a different world from yours. We do all kinds of like paid I don't search, know. Paid I like social. to dabble a little bit. Yeah, I like to dabble oh, really? a little bit, Brandon. I may be a little. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to play dumb insurance agent for a while. We'll see how good I am. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have, we'll, have, we'll have to we'll have to talk a little bit more in depth about it. But yeah, so so that's what we do. Uh, I run an agency. Uh, we do that kind of work for a whole bunch of companies uh, right now. Um, pretty much software, e-commerce, and and a lot of clients in real estate uh, are are kind of what we work with. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of the game. Uh, this is the we we run the, the the traditional agency model when it comes to to marketing and just trying to get better at the craft and and grow the team and scale a business and sales process and all that kind of stuff that most businesses deal with. Cool. So talk about a couple of things. Number one, what's your definition of digital marketing? Because that is literally one of those things that means something different to anybody that you ask. So I'm interested in your definition of digital marketing. Yeah, good question. Uh, I mean, a lot of people these days just call it marketing because they, they're, they're almost the same thing. Uh, although there's some, uh, there's some straggler channels that work in some industries that aren't digital. Uh, but, but really digital marketing, in, in my opinion, would be any kind of, uh, any kind of marketing that happens online, marketing being the positioning of a product, you know, creation of collateral there, uh, media buying, all that kind of stuff. What we specialize in is media buying. So that means that we're specifically buying advertising inventory online um, for, for companies in order to generate leads. So, so that's basically the whole scope of what we do, uh, which is a small sliver of the total digital marketing space. But it's, it's, the, it's my favorite because it's data-driven. Um, I think it's exciting and it changes fast. And it's, it's all about creating performance. So I love that direct response side of digital marketing. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you had said is more of a traditional agency model. Explain a little bit about what that looks like too. And, and what, Brandon, I'm not asking you remedial questions because I feel like that's what you're capable of answering. I got to set the table, man, because I do have a bunch of insurance agents that listen to this who are also connected to a lot of real estate people. So um, definitely a good audience for you to be talking to, but I want to make sure that we give them the foundation first because mm -hmm. I'm going to give them about three minutes and 52 seconds before we have them short-circuiting. So we got to get the foundation right. Yeah, fair enough. So, so when I said agency model, basically what that means is we do work on behalf of companies to generate leads for them. So I'm saying as opposed to like, for example, you'll find some marketing companies that do like, for example, paper lead programs where they generate leads and they sell leads. Um, we don't do quite that thing. Um, what we basically do is our clients come to us. They say, I have this amount of money and I would like to turn this into leads. And, you know, from there, hopefully into revenue. And we decide what kind of media to buy and 
and how to buy it most efficiently in order to put that money to the best use. And then uh, we take a fee for doing that. So that's that's kind of the the model of the business that we run. Got it. What's the average size of your average client or prospect for that matter? Um, as a company, we have a lot of clients in the, the $1 to $5 million per year revenue range. Um, it, it sort of depends. Uh, in, in real estate, we definitely work with smaller companies. Um, and we've kind of built a, a niche product specifically for there. And then outside of real estate, we've worked with usually larger companies, um, larger than the small ones, but still like you know, startups anywhere in that in that, uh, you know, one to $10 million range, typically. Understood. And I mean, I think that that one to one to 5 million is probably the upper echelon of the average agency out there, right? From, from an insurance perspective, um, there's plenty below a million, you start hitting a million in revenue. Now you've got a, a really good business. Not that there's, you don't have a good business below that. But I mean, there's an inflection point, and it, you know I think that it's easier to get from one to five than it is to get from zero to one, in my opinion. If you know how to how to spend your money right and market correctly and all of that, um, but it's mm-hmm. interesting that um, so you're dealing more with the consumer facing or the purchaser facing. It might be business to business. I imagine real estate's probably more business to consumer related stuff. You're not taking ad buy from some from somebody and then looking to distribute it out. So some of my experience revolves around affiliate marketing. And when I was dealing with the ad buyers, it was usually the group in New York that was representing, um, you know, Capital One or Delta or Amex or somebody like that, and said, "Hey, look, we really want." to get in front of your audience and here's what our budget is what does that look like right you're not doing that you're you're more along the lines of I'm Johnny insurance agency owner I'm going to come in and say look I want to scale my presence digitally I've got this much money per month you know what can we do for that and if it's an insurance agency you're probably going to laugh because it's never going to be enough money where they're all <laughs> cheapskates right they they don't understand how that works you know I've got a <laughs> I got I've got a buddy fitty. Yeah, that's it. Like, well, you know, I've got 500 bucks that I can give you for Google search-based ads. And I, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it's, 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 it's a whole different animal. And I mean, I think that one thing too, you know, is we're setting the table. It's probably important to talk a little bit about the different, the different types of ads that you can do, right? You can, as far as how your ad spend breaks out, you can have stuff that's based per thousand impressions. You can have things that are cost per acquisition if a specific call to action is made. You know, people throw around terms like pay-per-click and all of this other stuff. Like they like they read it in a magazine somewhere, Brandon. It's really what happened. And so now they think they know what they're talking about. You really have to have a blended approach, man. And I think that that's why a lot of people need to be looking for a firm who does this every single day. Insurance agents are like the Swiss army knife of business people, right? We can do everything. Just ask us. We can do it. We can do digital advertising. We can do print advertising. We can cold call. We can telemarket. We can build a website. We can handle the updates and patches for our websites. We're bloggers. I mean... And I'm obviously saying this very, very sarcastically because people really do think they know all of this stuff when the harsh reality is they suck at every single piece of it because they don't know. And they're too cheap to go out and hire people who know how to do it the right way. So I'm just, you know, I'm interested in talking a little bit about just the different types of of advertising you could do inside the digital realm 
um, so that people understand what that looks like. And then I'm going to let you go off to the races, man, and tell us everything you want us to hear. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Happy to happy to discuss it. So, um, yeah, w- one thing I wanted to comment on that you said is just the, the mindset that resol- revolves around digital marketing. Because uh, I think a, a lot of those companies that are in that smaller range, you kind of get stuck in, in this mindset that you're... I've talked to a lot of people that kind of treat it like it's a job. You, know, you you say, I'm going to get this salary. And then the moment you find out that you've got to spend money to get your salary, you're like, what the heck? It's a salary. Like, that's not how it works. Um, but that's kind of like the, the limiting small business kind of mindset that like, if I can't do it or, or if it doesn't just come to me naturally, then it's not worth it. Um, when you get into the kind of stuff that our clients are doing, it's a lot more making your money work for you than it is making your time work for you. And it creates a scalable business model where you can generate leads um, that can generate a return on investment and you can actually make that that path easier. I, I think the reason that you've seen that it's easier to get from one to five million than it is to get from zero to one is because if you got to one, you probably knew a thing or two about marketing. And then it's just doing it over again versus a lot of the people that haven't gotten that far. They're just you know, it, it's everything that comes is a factor of chance. They don't really have control over it. They don't have the data, all that kind of stuff. So that's really the, the magic of digital marketing. It's a repeatable process. You can execute that process over and over again to, to generate some type of result. And, and the idea is that you can you can create profit doing that. Um, where I can add the most or shed the most light on this is just in the, the few channels that are available. Um, there, there's tons of stuff you can do in digital marketing. You'll find a ton of people that specialize in all kinds of things. Uh, even within a, my company, you'll, you'll find different people better with different types of tasks. Um, but really, it's, uh, it's, it's two channels that I have the most expertise in. Uh, we have Facebook ads, really popular channel. Tons of people are using Facebook, Instagram, uh, mm-hmm. basically media buying, promoted posts on those platforms and how that works. Um, you, you kind of said this before you alluded to the idea of a cost per 1000 impressions, uh, basically CPM is the three letter, three letter acronym that marketers love for, for that. I'm going to do a little and, CPM tonight, Kyle. What do you know about that? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. So, see, yeah. I mean, it just is some Latin something or another, but the, the point being, um, it's that kind of platform you're paying per impression, um, or per 1000 impressions, so to speak. And the, the really cool thing about Facebook is there's all kinds of different audiences that you can target. You can put promoted posts on Facebook in front of those people uh, and hopefully drive some type of action. Uh, the other platform I know a ton of stuff about is Google pay-per-click. Uh, a little bit of a different thing in the sense that Facebook, you could say, is a demand um, generation channel where you're kind of going to someone, you're saying, well, what do you think about this? And then they might respond positively. Mm-hmm. Google, they're seeking out something specific. So it's an intent-based marketing channel. Uh, so the, the real magic of Google is that people are searching on Google. Um, Google influences a lot of purchasing decisions. People find information on Google that helps them eventually go one direction. Um, like for example, looking for um, insurance or whatever the case is, um, whatever they find there could influence their purchasing decision and, and most likely will. So Google pay-per-click is all about the, the art of basically gathering business from Google in a paid way using their, their advertising platform. Um, what pay-per-click means is it's a auction-based system where you're going to pay for clicks. And the, the whole way that the advertising system works is you can kind of choose things that people could search that you want to show up on. And you pay when, those, when someone searches that, and then they end up clicking on your ad and going to your website. Um, so those are kind of the, the two channels that, that I personally know the most about um, in terms of how to, how to optimize advertising and different ways that you can do it. Um, pay-per-click is known for being that channel that has incredibly high quality traffic because it is that intent-based traffic, um, but it's very expensive. 
versus mm-hmm. Facebook being a very cost-effective channel where you can reach a lot of people for pretty cheap, uh, but it's a lot less relevant of an audience um, without mean, actual intent to do anything. We've talked about the Facebook, you know, just absolutely crushing me on here before. I mean, I feel like recently, actually, we're yeah. like, I just, I mean, I'm scrolling through and I'll see something and like, yeah, it's cool, whatever. And then you gotta have that, man. Two, two or three days later, I see it again. I'm like, hmm, I've seen you before. And then by <laughs> the by the third or fourth time, it's in the cart. I'm on the site. It's done. Well, I look at it like <laughs> this, man. I think Facebook. If you get into the news feed based on you know having analyzed cookies in people's browsers and you're using it as a retargeting campaign, I feel like it's got a much better use than just trying to organically sell people, right? Now, if you're if you're product based, like mm-hmm. if you're the guy like <laughs> The people I know that have made the most money off of Facebook ads have like a product that's drop shipped through a Shopify store or Amazon. Correct. And one of the best examples that's just been invading my feed lately is the thing where um, you can use it to poke the hole in a can of beer to shotgun the beer. And I'm like, wait, so they're they're selling keys? Yeah, I'm like you people don't have car keys. Like, <laughs> yeah, buys what this, is this? Right. Like, but <laughs> truthfully speaking, you know. Those are the kinds of stuff you see, like a lot of the like, I, like this watch band. Perfect isn't that how example. you found? Isn't that how you found Doctor Squatch? It is how I found Doctor Squatch Hell and yeah. Tacovis boots and a lot of other things. But you know how we have used it is when we'll run like a YouTube ad campaign or um, something that we're using on Google, and maybe it redirects to a landing page with a survey, and the pixel fires when they start the survey, but it never fires on the thank you page. So we know they didn't complete it, but we can gather their information and then redeploy that for retargeting. That's been a pretty successful method for us. Number one, it freaks people out, man. If I'm going to tell you I'll save you money on your car insurance in a YouTube ad, and I redirect you to a five-question survey that you don't finish, and then all of a sudden you go over to check out Aunt Sally and see what's going on with all your friends from high school you haven't talked to in 30 years in person. And the first thing you see is my mug saying, what do you mean you you couldn't even finish five questions and you still want to save money on your car insurance? Like, how do you expect this to happen if you don't finish the survey? Click the button down here and be done with it, right? That's how the retargeting piece is how we've had success doing that. Mm -hmm. I think that the misconception with the Google ads, though, specific to the insurance industry is you know how we um how we perceive things to be we're so used to depreciation like when we look at actual cash value as a settlement we understand that's replacement cost less depreciation and so i think that sometimes our minds gravitate towards thinking about things in a straight line when you're dealing with google ads you can't just go out there and say you know you can't go to somebody like brandon And Brandon says, look, we're going to put the work in. We're going to come to you with a proposal, and we're going to show you exactly what you need to do. You've shared your objectives. We've asked our questions, done our fact-finding. This is our recommendation for you. And then you look at it and say, $5,000 a month? Mm, I I only want to spend $1,000. People, that is like somebody coming into your office and saying... (laughs) (laughs) I would like for you to insure me the proper way. And then you go in, you do all the work, you provide the quotes and they don't like the price and they start stripping out coverage. And three months down the line, they end up with a claim. The claim's not covered. 
And it's because you decided you didn't want to trust the expert and you had them cut coverage. You can't be angry at that person. Google Ads is no different. If you go to somebody like Brandon that's got an advertising firm and they tell you what it is, be prepared to spend that amount of money. If he projects that you're going to get X number of opportunities for spending $5,000 a month, and I'm just throwing it out there. It might, it might be more, it might be less, but for $5,000 a month, we project you're going to get X number of opportunities. That doesn't mean that if you say, no, I only want to spend a thousand, that you're going to get 20% of what you would have gotten for five. It's not a straight line. You might only get 2% of what you would have gotten for five because of the way the algorithms work. The snowball hasn't gathered enough momentum yet to do the things it needs to do. And we witnessed this with our own Google advertising. When we turn it on and turn it off, it's cheaper for me just to let it ride. Even in the times when the months are slower, by the time we allow that snowball to catch more momentum, I've spent more money than I would have just to let it ride and do its thing. So listen, I'm not selling for Brandon. I'm selling for everybody who's got an agency out there. If you people are not experts in this and you want to do it right, A, you need to hire an expert, but B, you need to trust that expert. If you expect people to take your advice when they come in looking for insurance, then why are you being... You know, talking out of both sides of your mouth when you go hire somebody to do a professional service for you and you want a nickel and dime them. You can't have it both ways. Is is that the biggest mistake you see, Brandon, that, you know, companies that are engaging you are doing what David was just talking about or is it something else? There's there's a lot of that. Uh, I mean, trusting the expert, I think, is is a, is a huge thing that you need to do. Uh, We've, we've kind of got, uh, and frankly, this is one of our biggest challenges as a company now is staffing for this because we get so much pushback from our clients and so many things, right? So I tell people when I'm like hiring account managers and things like that, like you've got to like 75% of the time when a client says, I want to do this, the answer is no, that's a bad idea. We're going to do it this way instead. It's really <laughs> hard to do that though. And most yeah. agencies can't. So where we see a lot of people going wrong with agencies in general is you sabotage your own results because you have too much of an opinion um, and you don't trust what they want to do. Um, and they want you to be happy more than they want you to get results a lot of the times. The problem is if, you, if they can't get the results, then you know after a few months, you're not happy. Um, so, so that's why we pushed back so hard on that. Um, but it's, uh, it's a hard thing to do, like to scale from an operational perspective to, to train your employees to like not make clients happy, but instead do what's best for them very hard thing to do. Um, the other thing that he kind of touched on is lack of consistency. Uh, digital marketing is not that kind of thing that you want to turn on and off. Uh, you've got to buy and hold with this type of strategy and it, it produces a much better outcome doing that kind of thing. So you, uh, yeah, you just have to be ready. Um, I highly recommend anybody getting into digital marketing. You kind of figure out what kind of monthly budget do you need and how long do you need to do that in order to do the experiments that you're wanting to do to figure out how this is going to work for you. And you've got to put that money aside and count on it as an investment. And marketing is, it, it's a, well, you could probably call a high risk, high reward investment, um, with the risk being that you lose that money that you put into marketing, but the reward bringing being that you build like a scalable lead source that turns into business for you for years to come and could potentially turn into a scalable lead source that, that eventually provides more and more of that. Um, and it's one of those things where I think it's a smart bet. Um, but if you have to do the bet, like if you don't want to do it, cool, don't do it. If you want to do it and you want to do it right with the right amount of budget for the right amount of time, you want to be consistent with it. Great. But if you kind of like 
put some money into it and give up too early, that's the absolute worst scenario that you could be in where you spent the money, but you never actually got the reward. So that's, we, we find people all the time tempted to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's, we qualify pretty hard for that one. So thankfully it's not many of our clients. Um, but if we just took anybody who decided to work with us, it would be most of our clients. <laughs> so we, we qualify people pretty hard for that. Same. No, I mean, absolutely no difference at all in how we operate, right? You know, if the, look, it, it's a universal truth that if somebody's a pain in the neck in the prospect process, they're going to be a pain in the neck as a client too. They're not going to see Jesus overnight and just change their ways. Mm-hmm. It just That's not how it works. But I mean, again, it goes back yeah. to our industry at large is notorious for just writing whatever walks in the door. They don't pre-qualify it. They don't have to find, you know, ideal prospects and niches and all of that. So, you know, that's the deal, man. I, I think that pre-qualification is huge and kudos to you that you're able to do it. You've empowered your team to do it. I wish more insurance agents did the same. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to be said for a company that does what's best for their customers, not what their customers want. I think there's an assumption generally that what's best for the customer is what the customer wants. But it's uh, in, in industries where it's an expertise-based industry, that's not necessarily true. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I think there's value in that. I think that produces repeat business. I think it makes even happier customers in the long run. You just got to be willing to kind of stick to your guns. But it's, it's not easy. No, it's not. I mean, but how many people walk into the doctor needing a quadruple bypass and say, no, you know what? I prefer you just go ahead and give me an endoscopy today, doc. We're going to go ahead and skip the bypass because I feel like what's best for me is that. I mean, it's a ludicrous statement to make, right? But I mean, you're telling an expert in their craft how to do their job with no formal training whatsoever. I don't care if you stayed in the Holiday Inn Express last night or not. (laughs) Can we bring those commercials back? Like, where did they I, go? I don't know. Brandon, you're an advertising guy. You have an appreciation for commercials and things like that. What is your favorite that's running right now? Oh, man. Because I'll tell a, you mine. I'm, I'm going to buy you some time and tell you that my absolute favorite commercials that have been out for the last several, uh, last couple of years are the progressive commercials with Dr. Rick. Yeah. Dr. Classic. Rick. Yeah. The guy who's keeping you from becoming your parents. I mean, parents. I think that's probably. It, it, I think I think it hits home a little bit more with us, obviously, because the industry we're in. But I, I genuinely just think that that dude. It is has hilarious. nothing to do with insurance <laughs> like, to me. They could not have cast a better person. Like, yeah, it's so like, good. When, he reminds me of my dad's buddy. Like when he's standing in front of the people and the guy asks the question, I forget what the stupid question <laughs> is, and he goes. Is that what is? Are we hashtagging? And he's just like runs his fingers through his hair, like you can tell this guy is like perfectly exasperated, completely disgusted. Fantastic commercial! (laughs) Like every little nuance of those commercials are so well written. What's your favorite, Kyle? Besides Doctor Rick, you can't you can't steal mine. I'm I'm sitting here trying to think because that's well I know but that's the first one that popped into my head. So I'm sitting here trying to think. I know that there's one that I saw recently that was good, and I'm just gonna have to. I'm gonna have to think a little bit harder. Geico comes. Geico's kind of polar. They have some good ones, and then they have. Yeah, some but I'm not going suck. insurance on this. I'm not going lame. I'm not. Go, I'm not going back to back insurance. Plus, I, I just. I, I mean, I feel like I feel like the gecko's a little played out. I mean, you know, he had his time to shine back. You know, whatever, 10, 15 years ago. I, I just the the quality is not there for me. Like Doctor Rick. Doctor Rick brings it. Brandon, we bought you some time, man. What do you think? And you're asking a hard question. I mean, this stuff is is 
it feels retro to me because we do you know so much on this digital space i don't i don't like i don't see a bunch of commercials i see a bunch of like google ads i see a bunch of like facebook ads and stuff like that when we're researching for competition so so ours are, are a little bit different um but i have to say i have a i have a different spin on it uh, because i am uh i do i'm a direct response advertiser so we don't like a lot of stuff about you know, not becoming your parents and stuff like that, because it actually doesn't have to do very much with insurance and it generally produces brand lift, but it doesn't produce direct response, um, you know, impact. That's a great answer, man. Yeah. So, so anyways, we do a lot of stuff. Like I, I'd say one of my favorite ones that I've seen recently was a, was an ad for Slack on Facebook where it had like this, this guy like riding a unicorn over a rainbow or something and said like how it feels to do 30% less meetings at work or something like that. Um, Cause I like how they like bring in the emotion, um, but make it eventually about like the, you know, the, the emotion of the product and, and what the, the value is there. Um, Cause I have to tell you some, some interesting insights from, from advertising. We've, we've managed you know, a lot of budget for a lot of companies. Um, one in particular that I'm thinking about here, they hire this firm. Um, you guys ever seen those, uh, you know, talking about digital ads, you ever seen those, like squatty potty ads or like purple mattress. Mm. Or oh yeah. Stuff. They were on shark tank. Yeah. Too. So the, the may or may not have one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this, uh, <laughs> anyways, we had this company that made like, you know, a bunch of those, those ads for all those different companies. So and sense. we were doing the media buy on this project. Right. So, so this company spends like, you know, a hundred grand on, on this video. Um, and the, the video, the point is it's a hilarious video. A lot of people love it. Um, and cost a hundred grand. And, and we were putting like 30 grand a day behind the video on Facebook ads. This is not a small budget. Um, and we're producing tons and tons of sales for this company. Um, but we were also advertising some other stuff. One of those things happening to be just like something that a person had just taken like a user generated type thing. I'm pretty sure it was like taking the product and making like a boomerang video of it in a parking lot like something that simple where it was just like user generated. It looked like it belonged on Facebook and that overperformed our hundred thousand dollar video by a factor of two. And it was, you know, nobody, nobody like disliked the hundred thousand dollar video. It was hilarious. It was great. It was, it was creative, but the difference mm -hmm. is it didn't produce purchase intention. It, people just liked it. Hmm. And we've seen that over and over and over again. That's interesting. Yeah, so that I mean, we validated that thought process internally. Actually, if you go back to when we ran the BMW campaign on YouTube, Kyle, that's exactly what that was. Mm -hmm. We we created a YouTube video campaign specific to our special program for BMW owners because we found a brand that people had a cult like following with that we knew that if we could get in front and disrupt them before they watched stupid cat videos on YouTube, that we liked our chances, right? But I didn't go out and spend $100,000 to film a video. I literally filmed it with my iPhone in the parking lot. And one of the reasons why we picked BMW is because three of us drove them. So we already had <laughs> the cars we needed to, to film it. But it was literally fairly well scripted. I can't say that it was perfect, but it, people watched it because they're like, who's this dude talking on a cell phone? It didn't have the touch and feel of a professional commercial. And right. that's what got that thing traction. And, and by the way, um, agents out there listening, if you don't think that it works, we spent about $1,000 on the ad and wrote over a million in premium from it. So it works. 
I will say the uh, other commercial I just thought of that I remember that I used to like when they first came out um, was the Bud Light Dilly Dilly commercials. Those were hilarious. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> I feel yeah. like that one didn't get as long a run as it deserved, honestly. No. It, it kind of di- it, it kind of died pretty quickly, but it was good. Good deal. So talk a little bit about I, – I think that it, it would be – Interesting to hear your thoughts on this. I I trust that our audience will follow us down this rabbit hole. But you bring up a good point, man. You know, lifting brand awareness is one thing. I'm not a fan. Like, I'm not interested in impressions most of the time. I'm interested in conversions. And as we, so even with the podcast, as we work with different companies that approach us to represent their brand, you know, it's a, it's a, interesting dance that you do because I've got national brands that are used to just spending a ton of money and all they're worried about is having a banner somewhere where they're getting a number of impressions and I'm including something in our email newsletter or whatever else. I'm not your guy for that. Now, if you want to hit a niche where you know you're going to get conversions because you have a product that resonates with our audience, 100% of the time I will outperform the impression-based advertising because a, we use every product that we represent, and B, I know how to use the product. So it's not about just me, you know, rattling off a commercial or reading an ad. It's hey, here's how we use this to generate this much revenue That's in our yeah experience. in our agency yeah. and give them the step by step by step. But when you're dealing with Google search ads in in that arena. Talk a little bit about the architecture of what those ads need to look like, because it's a completely different architecture than creating the video for your product or the product that we talk, you know, us doing the, the YouTube ads out in the parking lot. Yeah, it's, it's way different for search advertising. I mean, all you have to do to really get an example is just search on Google and see, you know, what kind of things are showing up. There's uh, basically there, there's a couple of core elements. The first thing is going to be the search term. That's what someone actually searches. And the reason that's an incredibly important part of the ad is because you need to make sure that your ad is hyper relevant to that particular thing. Some of the biggest mistakes that we see people making is they say, I, I want to be show up for all people searching all these kinds of things. Um, and then they have one ad for all of those things. And it's not actually hyper relevant to those. And then one of your competitors is hyper relevant to one of those things. And therefore, you have a disadvantage compared to someone else. So, so really, that's the that's kind of what the most important thing along the whole path is is relevance. Um, but on Google, it's pretty much made up of three headlines. You get three headlines, thirty characters or less each, and then you have a couple descriptions of ninety characters where you can kind of um, you know talk more in depth about it. Uh, the then there's a link to where someone's actually going, and occasionally you can work with extensions, things like that. You know, maybe show your reviews, uh, maybe show some links to other places on your site, that kind of thing. Uh, when someone clicks on the ad, uh, it has to take people to some place where they can, uh, they can, you know, some type of website um, where they could eventually become a lead. Uh, biggest mistakes there are sending people just to your homepage because you just want to generate traffic. You lose ability to track that really well. And turns out your main website, even though you like it and it looks pretty, doesn't actually convert very well. If we're talking about, you know, conversion optimized campaigns, we, we spend money on marketing because we want to generate leads. Um, our clients always get the best results with landing pages that are dedicated just to the PPC. Um, so something like a headline that's very relevant to exactly what that person searched, um, a call to action that's very clear, no links going to other places, simply just they're either going to convert or they're going to leave. 
Uh, it's called a squeeze page, and it produces a lot more conversions typically. So here's my favorite argument from my peer group. This is not my argument, by the way. I agree with 100% of what you've said because our best performing digital ads are those ads that go to a dedicated landing page for quote bind issue insurance products. You either buy it and pay for it and mm-hmm. have the policy issued there, or you don't. End of story, right? But People will say, but I don't want to have landing pages because it affects my SEO. No, it doesn't. The, the whole point of a landing page is you don't want people finding it through organic Google searches. It's specifically there for a paid ad. That's the whole point of having it. And you don't structure it like a regular web page for that reason, right? We, we do really, really well with those products that we have built dedicated landing pages for, and we put the ad dollars behind it. Florida wedding insurance is a landing page, period, right? If you want to buy liability for your wedding, you click on it, you put your card in, and it spits the policy out all on that page. If you need more information or you want event cancellation coverage, which requires you to talk to a human being, Different animal. You have to click that button and fill out a short form and it's going to dump it into HubSpot and then HubSpot will work its witchcraft and we'll be in touch with you, you know, based off of how the CRM works. But, you know, I think that's a big misnomer, man. People are worried that it's going to mess the mess up the SEO for their root domain if they have landing pages when if they're built correctly, it has zero effect whatsoever. Yeah, it, it's really separate things. There, there's all kinds of myths that go back about, you know, how paying for ads helps your SEO and Google favors people who are advertisers and stuff like that. And it's been, it's been disproven over and over and over again. Uh, there is no negative effect of using a landing page for your pay-per-click advertising on SEO. Uh, they are completely separate things. Um, so where people go wrong is they try to use a site for both because there's going to be elements that are different about them. Let's just say you designed your homepage of your website to be perfect as a pay-per-click landing page what's probably going to happen is you're going to have no links going anywhere else. Uh, You're going to have an extremely basic framework because it's going to have to load very quickly and you're going to code it just with that purpose. It's going to be relatively short with some, some really obvious call to actions and and probably not that much information um, and general information about your company. Um, And it's going to be slim on content. You're probably going to have, you know, stuff that says very quickly into the point, what your value proposition is um, so that it can be understood quickly. And it would be horrible for SEO purposes because you don't have that internal linking structure. You wouldn't have links going to these other websites that help build up the authority across the pages. Um, it'd be bad for SEO because you wouldn't be able to have enough complexity um, because you'd be limited by the site speed factors. You wouldn't be able to have enough complexity to build out like a, a website with enough pages um, and enough content to where it, it is viewed as uh, as content heavy for, for Google. And you wouldn't be able to you would just say things in a really different way, right? Um, your, your content wouldn't be as keyword dense. Um, you would be saying things like a lot of sites that are really well optimized for SEO do kind of say the same thing sort of over and over again, but different words. Um, it's a little bit annoying sometimes, but you need a lot of content in order to rank in search engines. Um, and you wouldn't really be able to do that because it would lower your PPC conversion rate. So you don't want one page with two purposes. You want one page for each purpose and do each one really well, or else you end up with a website that doesn't convert for PPC and also doesn't rank in search engines. And that's worth less than just doing one of them right. I agree. It's a good piece of advice. So here's my question, man. 
I'm not asking you for the how, but I, I got to know. I'll share mine. What is your favorite, like, super high-level ninja hack for digital marketing? Like, what's the trick that puts you on the map? This is, uh, man, this is a question and a half. Because uh, there's so you many. Do you want me to tell you what mine is? Do you want me to tell you what mine is? And then you can yeah, shoot maybe, maybe me down and be like, you yeah. freaking rookie. So my absolute exactly. favorite <laughs> is to create Google ad, or YouTube ads using uh, a list of people who have been to my competitors' domains so that when they go to my competitors' YouTube channel, my ad pops up first. That's my favorite. Yeah, that's cool. That's, uh, you can do that he's, like, he's like, yeah, okay. I thought you were, yeah, that's cool. You're I shit thought you were talking though. about some ninja level stuff, man. Like, <laughs> Remember, I'm an insurance agent, man. Yeah, uh, uh, it, it's funny. There's a there's a whole bunch of different ways to do things. Um, I mean, that's that's one one good method to target. I'm trying to think of like what is the the stuff that has generally produced repeatable, scalable, efficient results for our clients. Like the stuff that's been most important. Um, I feel and, like this is going to be a non sexy answer based on how you're setting it up. It, it is definitely a non-sexy answer, but it sort of is in some ways. So, so the, the thing about digital marketing um, that we get caught up on sometimes um, is the idea of hyper-targeting just the right person. Um, and I love that. It's uh, This is sort of like what you were talking about, this idea of like finding just that right person. Um, the problem that you usually have with that, unless you're with a small budget, is scale. You just can't spend as much money on it as you hoped you could, Right. Um, and so, so when I'm thinking about our clients that have like really scaled significantly, like what's the best way to do that? Um, it's all about closing the loop. The, the most important thing, uh, you know, what a lot of companies do wrong is they do a lot of stuff that generates leads and they know I'm doing these, these hundred different things in my ad account and these 50 produce leads. And this was the efficiency of each thing. They know that. And then they know that they have those leads and of those leads, these five leads ended up closing, but they don't know which marketing activities generated the leads that ended up closing. And they don't have that data to close the loop and actually understand lead quality. And this is a huge problem that any company that doesn't have an actual online purchase has, because not all leads are created equal. Anybody in sales knows that, but mm -hmm. we don't connect the dots, right? We know these things generated leads. We know that those leads turned into these deals. We have no idea where the deals came from in terms of the marketing activities. So if there was a single ninja hack, I think it's just, it's closing that loop. Um, really, we're, we're a data company above all else. We believe in collecting data and then utilizing that data to make smarter strategies. And closing that loop has made the biggest difference for our clients compared to what they've done before working with us. So I think nice. the one thing that really makes digital marketing, in my opinion, the best way to spend your money is the the predictability that we're able to gain through the data. I mean, you said it, man, you're, you're a data company first. And by having the ability to gain all of that information on people, whether it be through their web habits or any number of other ways that you can get that, I just don't find it to be a huge risk. To me, it's never, it's not as much about the risk as it is people just being willing to take the first step and make that investment, right? So from my my perspective, if you're telling me, look, I'll get you the leads, but in order for you to make this worthwhile, you're going to have to close the deal when it comes in. 
I'm going to take that deal 10 out of 10 times because I have that much belief in my own ability to close if you put the leads in front of me. I, I think that a lot of times, too, and, and we found this, to be honest with you, Brandon, that's one of the reasons why we shut off the BMW ad is because good advertising magnifies bad processes. And at that stage in our life, you know, we didn't have the processes yeah. for handling the inbound traffic when it came in. So, you know, we literally got hundreds of leads from this campaign, and there's like three of us trying to work it at the time. And yeah, we wrote a lot of business, but I also probably shaved 10 years off of my life due to stress, just trying to figure out what that looked like. So we took time and we've now stepped back, analyzed those processes and made them much easier to deal with. But holy cow, man, you know, the, for those people who are willing to put the money out, if you don't have defined processes in place and how you're going to handle the leads when they do come in and they will come in. Don't hire an advertising firm yet. Double down on getting your processes right first, and then you're going to operate more efficiently, number one. And number two, you're going to be ready to handle the leads when Brandon the Rainmaker steps in to make it happen for you, right? It's. It, <laughs> I think that there's a lot of people who get, get frustrated and they quit for that reason too, which is why I give the advice, if you don't have the processes, don't even start yet. It's no different than the advice we give on virtual assistants. If you're going to bring a virtual assistant into your operation to run some portion of that operation, whether it be basic level processing or doing quoting for you or any number of other things that a VA would do, you better have those processes defined, replicable, and trainable before you bring that person in. Otherwise, you're just bringing somebody to sit and stare at a screen all day who's not going to have the ability to figure it out on their own because they're not licensed in insurance. They don't work in the agency, and they don't even understand what it is you're doing. Advertising piece is the same way. Your staff has to be trained or it's going to be a horrible buyer's journey for the person that responds to the ad, and you're going to end up, end up blowing yourself up with negative Google reviews and everything else. Thank God we came out of that unscathed, but I mean, it was dicey there for a little while. Wow. Yep. Yeah. That sounds like uh, yeah, one of those good problems that, that can come from digital marketing sometimes. And, and we've had, uh, we've had companies deal with those issues for certain. So it, it's something that you have to, you have to be aware of. Um, I can tell you the, a lot of the smallest companies that we work with, they do have that mindset of like, I'm going to make this work and then I'm going to 10 exit. Um, they usually don't. And the problem, the bottleneck being the process, right? It's a, uh, it always seems like, mm -hmm. oh, if I just had tons of leads, my problems would be solved. Tons of leads gets you a different problem. And you then have to solve that one for sure. We had a guy on the podcast last week, his episode dropped, I think on either Monday or Wednesday, I'm not sure, but he had written a book called The, Mul the Dropout Multimillionaire, a guy named Brian Will. Kyle was out that day, and I did the podcast by myself. But he said something on the pod. He said a lot of stuff on the podcast, but he said something that really struck me, and I'll probably continue to bring this up for months to come now. But he said, if you want to be a millionaire, don't go get your advice from a billionaire. Go get your advice from somebody who's a millionaire that's already achieved what you want because the lens mm -hmm. that that person looks through as a billionaire is so completely different than where you're at right now that you're never going to even end up being a millionaire because the advice isn't relevant to where you're at in your life. I think digital advertising is very much the same way. 
people see somebody who's had a, has a success story, right? Like Russell Brunson with ClickFunnels or all these people that are, you know, posting these great, by the way, people, they're ads, you know, they're getting your attention. You know, you want, you want that golden record or whatever the heck the thing is that they hold up. Right. <laughs> but at the end of the day, people see that and they think, Oh, I can do that. I'm going to do that. That's not where you want to start. You need to start at the beginning. Find somebody who's already achieved the next phase of where you want to be. Find out how they did that or maybe two phases ahead of you. But you can't go from zero to a million the first day. There's not a business out there I'm aware of that's able to scale that way or capable of handling the influx from it. Yeah, I mean, they say the best person to teach you to do something is the person who just did it, not the person who... who mastered that a long time ago and has since has has different challenges Mm -hmm. um yeah i think there's i think there's a lot of merit to just surrounding yourself with those people that are just one step ahead of you for sure so what are you seeing on the horizon for digital marketing we've talked a lot about what's going on currently in facebook and and google and all that sort of thing but the people want to know what's the future hey how about how about our buddy daniel song has 1.3 million followers on tiktok now yeah, you told me he had like a million something. Well, like no, a that month was ago. two weeks ago that he had a million. Right. Now he's at yeah. one point three. This guy's blowing up, man. Good for him, man. Yeah, I, I can't comment on that. Unfortunately, I don't know who that is, but good for him. You will. You'll you'll follow him at some point. Everybody's doing it. I, I so. guess I will. <laughs> yeah, I guess the, the trend shows that, that it's inevitable. But um, yeah, the, the future of digital marketing. What does it hold? Good, good question. Um, so we're seeing a lot of trends on Google of increased search volume over time. This, this is showing that Google as a platform, as a place where people are going to find the businesses, products, services that they end up interacting with is growing. So I, if you're the guy that thinks that digital marketing is, is going to be obsolete and that nobody's going to find the businesses that they do business with online, um, then you are most likely alone <laughs> in that thought. Uh, so, so that's where I think it's, it's so important to to you know, start to to build a presence on these platforms, um, so that you can have that future-proofed um, sort of business. Uh, some of the biggest things that are changing, it's really becoming the data game. The, the companies that have the most data are the ones that are winning. Um, so that's why I do think it really is important, um, even more so over time as the bar is raising. Like there was a time in digital marketing where all you had to do was exist. Um, I remember my first Facebook ad I ran in 2014. Um, I spent like 250 bucks on it and produced a gigantic, gigantic outcome from that just by existing uh, because no one else was doing it, right? That was really how things worked. Um, Over time, the bar raises. And for a high performer, a raising bar isn't an issue. Um, It's it's a challenge. It's fun. But you have to be ready to to deal with that because the fact of the matter is if your business isn't optimized in every way, uh, you're not going to win. Uh, Let's just take Google pay-per-click, for example. Let's just say you're generating leads and someone else is generating leads. Um, you're in a competitive auction. You're, you're trying to pay a price per click. If they close twice as many of their leads as you do, it's not just that they're going to capture twice as much revenue on that. They're also going to create a scalable system because they're going to be profitable on their Google ads, whereas you're not going to be profitable. And they're going to push the price up on those ads and capture more and more volume, and you're going to get squashed. The companies that aren't making the most money on their leads are the ones that are that are failing. So basically, be prepared for the bar to raise. That that basically means having the the most possible talent managing those campaigns, um, working with agencies that have a lot of data. 
so that they can make really smart decisions beyond just the information that you have. And you have to be on top of your game. If, if you don't make as much money from a lead as someone else does, you're never going to win the digital marketing game. Uh, he who can afford to pay the most to acquire a customer is always who wins in digital marketing. So a lot of our clients that are most successful kind of have that competitive advantage of we're having the best run business and that makes their advertising more effective. That's really what it comes down to. Cool deal. So as we wrap this bad boy up, what is the one piece of advice you would give to anybody out there that's looking to start? I'd say work with someone you trust, um, work with an expert and do it right. I see a lot of people spending, you know, 10 bucks here, 20 bucks there, kind of boosting posts on Facebook or whatever the case is. I think it's like the worst money they ever spent in their life, even though it's not a ton of money that they wasted. Um, the, the point being marketing that doesn't work is the most expensive marketing marketing that works, even if it's expensive is so much cheaper to the business because it's an actual investment. So, so really that's my advice is just, just find a way to do it right. Um, and, and work with someone that you can trust to, to be the partner for that and, and try to build a good scalable company. I mean, building a company is about making smart bets, right? And, and I think that getting into digital marketing now is a smart bet for a lot of companies, so long as you have a good coherent strategy behind it. So how do they find you, Brandon? We'll obviously have it in the show notes, but what's the best way for people to get in touch if they would like to engage with the Bateman Collective? Um, I'd say definitely reach out to, to Noah, our director of sales. Uh, his, his email is noah at batemancollective.com. Uh, so that, that's one of the best ways to, to reach out. You can, of course, go to batemancollective.com and fill out the form. That'll get you there, too. Um, and then, yeah, we can, we can have a, a discussion there. I might be a part of the, the conversation as well um, and see if there might be a fit in something for your business. What I just heard, people, was that Brandon delegated that to his head of sales, which is something all of you should be doing anyhow. You shouldn't be calling him. Your head of marketing should be, or whoever the person is that you've charged with doing that. Mm -hmm. And then your people and his people can get together, and then maybe you and him can talk <laughs> at some point in the process. That's how I heard it. My man's running his business the right way. It's no wonder he's been a success. I hope that you have learned something going through the podcast today. We talked about a lot of things. I was very sarcastic about a lot of the things that bother me about my peer group. If it bothered you, then fix it. Okay. At the end of the day, we're here to challenge everybody to be better. We bring guests on from both inside and outside the insurance industry. And I just hope everybody takes something away from this one that they can use in their agency tomorrow. And if you are not a digital advertising expert, which is 100% of the people who listen to this, give my man a call. See if you fit. If you don't, he's not going to take you, which is how you should be running your agency too. Everybody have a good one. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. <laughs>